Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 45, uh, through verse 4 of chapter 21. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places at the feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive the greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in their offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. We've been in our sermons discussing the concept of vanity, not in the modern sense of someone who looks in the mirror all day, but in the sense of the things under the sun, uh, the way that those, the uh, preacher uses them in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything under the sun fades and dies, as I said last week. Everything falls into ruin. Here on this earth, we have no lasting kingdom. Uh, that's the contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men. Solomon asked the question, what profit is our labor under the sun? When man fell, we know the sentence of death came upon him. There can be no life without union with God. And there can be no union with God without believing God's words and obeying his commands. And so death, futility, and vanity entered when man fell. The city fell into ruin. Creation is now on the path to death and oblivion. The book of Proverbs, chapter 24, Solomon says he went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding and there it was overgrown with thorns its surface covered with nettles its stone wall was broken down he said he saw it and considered it well the default position of creation is failure if you don't take care of your marriage your marriage will fail if you don't take care of your business your business will fail if you don't take care of your buildings, they'll fall down. If you don't take care of your vineyard, they're not automatically going to bring forth good grapes and a huge crop. Creation doesn't grow beautiful tomatoes without the care and toil of man. That's the default position, ruin and death. But as I said last week, that didn't stop Cain from building cities. He was the substance from the Lord. And since that all humankind seeks to create Eden from the ruins of creation. But it isn't possible. There's a contrast in the book of Genesis where the Tower of Babel, God scatters them as they sought to build a kingdom. And the very next chapter he calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and says, I will make of you a great nation. It's God that rebuilds what we have destroyed. God makes a promise in Abraham's seed. The curse will be reversed. There will be blessing instead of cursing. God will make a distinction between the seed of Abraham and the seed of the nations. And that seed, ultimately, is Christ. Christ said in the book of John that he came that we might have life and have life more abundantly. 
Luke is describing these scribes. He says they desire to go around in long robes, love the greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places at the feasts. If you wanted to put that in 21st century language, these were the people who are the religious experts who love the invitations to the conferences, the seats on the platforms, the mutual endorsements of each other's books. They love it when everyone greets them and everyone speaks well of them. When you love those things and look for your substance and your lasting city in those, they will prove again and again to be nothing. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. As I said last week, you look at the things of this earth and Solomon says, look at this, what is it? It's nothing. Well, what about the long robes? What about the greetings in the marketplace? What about the best places in the feasts? What about the huge buildings? What about everyone speaking well of me? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So the rich put their treasures in the box. They make a show of it. Everyone knows how much they give. They get the tiles that have their names put on it, their names put on the buildings. And they think, and here's the problem, they think that they have impressed God with their substance as much as they impressed everyone else. This is why Jesus said they gave out of their abundance. That's the key to this passage. The ones who were condemned gave out of their abundance whereas the widow gave out of her poverty. The abundance that they boasted in proved to be vanity. We don't know their names. Even the building that they were building, that great temple of Herod, Jesus said the time is coming when there will not be one stone left upon another. Their money was forgotten. Their nation was scattered. The temple itself would fall into ruin. No matter how much they had and how much they earned and how many choice seats they were given at the feasts, they would still go to their grave. Dust you are and dust you will return. But instead of repentance, they figured that if they had just a little more, that would fix it. And so it ended the way it always does, devouring widows' houses, they robbed from the vulnerable. They crushed the oppressed. And they prayed long prayers and then stole their livelihood. Because what do we need? A little more. We tell battered wives that if they just did a little bit more, then maybe their husbands will quit beating them. But it's never enough. For the heart does not, that does not rest in Christ will never have enough. When our life consists in our abundance, we are the most miserable of creatures. Solomon says we're like the leech with two daughters. Give and give. And it's never enough. So to point this out to the world, Jesus sits and watches everyone putting their money into the treasury. Mark says, this, there's a parallel passage in Mark, that he's watching them. He's keenly observing them. He's watching for something. As it turns out, he's watching for this widow, this child that he knows by name. Luke uses a rare word in the New Testament. There's a word for poor. That's not really the word. 
maybe destitute would be a better word. It isn't just that she's poor. She's very, very, very poor. All she has left are two scraps of copper which wouldn't even buy a meal. Today's currency, they'd be worth less than a penny. What good is that? It probably didn't even get counted when they came to get the money out of the box. Probably left there at the bottom. Worthless. But Jesus sees what he was waiting for. And he points her out for the whole world to take notice. She probably would have rather fallen into the earth than come to the knowledge that the whole world would be watching what she's doing. But here we are, 2,000 years later, paying attention to what this woman is doing. Because Jesus points her out. She matters to him because she belongs to him. And because she belongs to him, she puts all of her life, that's the word, bias, livelihood in our text, she puts all of her life into his hands. She doesn't have another meal. She doesn't have a reputation. She doesn't have any friends watching out for her. She doesn't have family members taking care of her. She is a widow indeed. She gives out of her poverty. And putting those two mites into the box, it isn't a matter of percentage. It's not that she gave 100% where the rich gave a smaller percentage. That's not the point. The point is she put her entire life into the hands of her Savior. To clarify this, let me ask a question. How would you change your life if you were dead? It's one of the paradoxes of the gospel. It's a ridiculous question, isn't it? But think about it. What would you worry about if you were dead? Would you worry about what someone thought of you? If you were dead, would the best seats in the synagogue matter? Would the long robes matter? Would the greetings in the marketplace matter? This is what Paul means in Colossians chapter 3. He says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. She gives out of her poverty. Whether you have much or little, isn't really the point. The point is this. Faith is only exercised out of poverty. If it's exercised out of abundance, it isn't faith. She gives the last that she has. She didn't have a meal. She had no one that recognized her. She was dead. So she gave it all to the Lord. And there she found life. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For faith unites us to Christ, who is well-pleasing to the Father. And so in Christ, we are the inheritance of God. We are his people, his jewel, his peculiar treasure. And when the woman gives her life, when she puts in those two coins out of her poverty, that's very precious in the sight of God. 
we tend to think the other way. We tend to think that the more money we have and the more status we have and the more reputation we have, the more impressive we are to God. But God says, I'll not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. This is from Psalm 50. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. This is the difference between the living God and the idols. We've been going through Isaiah on Wednesday night. Isaiah points out the idols of Babylon. You watch the Babylonians carry the idols around. They give out of their abundance, their strength, their ability to carry their idols around. God says, but I carry you. God is not impressed with these world's riches. He created it. Everything you have, he's given to you. And he certainly isn't impressed with wicked men who seek for their substance out of vanity. Cain and Abel will always be opposed. Cain will always be the substance from the Lord, the man from the Lord. Abel will always be vanity, and those two will always conflict. What would you do with the gifts that God has given you if you were dead? In other words, if you realize that the material goods that God has given you wasn't for the purpose of impressing God or impressing the neighbors or buying a future or seeking your significance, what if your life wasn't in your possessions but hidden in Christ? How would that change how you view it? This is why Jesus pointed this widow out. If he hadn't, we never would have known about it. She didn't blow a trumpet. She was only looking for one thing. She was looking for her life hidden in Christ. She knew something that most of us struggle with. She knew that if she ate again, it would only be because God gave her food. If she lived a moment longer, it would only be because God gave her breath. She gave out of her poverty. We can only bring faith that comes out of poverty. The meal that we have comes from the hand of grace. Our ability to work comes from God's hand. Whether we have much or whether we have little, whether we have health or whether we have sickness, it all comes from the hand of God. This is why we read question 26 this morning in the Catechism. Whatever evil God sends upon us, he'll turn to our good. This woman had nothing, but Jesus saw her. If the Lord calls us home, or if he wants us to stick around a little longer, if he's given us much, or if he's given us little, he is still good. But we don't seek our substance in those things. That's not where our life is. When we finally learn to let go of what we're so desperately trying to hold on to, we finally begin to understand the goodness of God. Only then can we learn to rejoice. As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. And the paradox of all paradoxes, only when we understand our poverty can we live in abundance. 
Only when we understand the vanity of this world can we begin to enjoy what's in this world. In other words, we can only enjoy our meal thoroughly when we understand that it's not the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's still coming. Only when we stop trying to control everyone can we begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. We can only love our neighbor truly if our life is hidden with Christ in God. Otherwise, we're too afraid of our neighbor to love him. But what if we're already dead and have nothing to fear? If our life is safely hidden where Christ is and nothing can take it away, if we can put our two mites in the box and it makes no difference in our life anyway, then wouldn't we be able to live joyfully for our life is safe? To live patiently knowing that he'll never forsake us? Live boldly knowing that we have nothing of value to lose? And whether he gives you much or little, it will be exactly enough. Whether he calls you home or keeps you around, nothing can shift that. That is of great value in the eyes of God. Peter told the wives this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, instead of plating the hair and making your substance about how your hair is and how many servants you have, which the wealthy of the Roman Empire did, he said this, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is not gender inclusive, exclusive, whatever that word is. This doctrine is taught to men and women and children and all who are in Christ. Christ was the perfect one with a gentle and quiet spirit. He was the meekest of men. He calls us all to that. So to men, he says, don't let your strength be your job, your masculinity, how much money you've got, all of this. Let it be a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Don't let it be out of your abundance where you bring all of your wealth and blow the trumpet and say, look what I have, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, but let it be a gentle and quiet spirit. We can only do that if we quit trying to live out of our abundance and learn to live out of our poverty. For we died in him. The scripture teaches when he was crucified, we were crucified with him. That's our old man. The old man is that guy that's very concerned about what people think, very concerned about the long robes and the best seats. It's the one that thinks that value and significance comes from how much he owns, how many beautiful women he has on his arm, how well his children behave. All of those things that we spend all of our life worrying about, that's the old man. The kingdoms of this world will always fall into ruin. If you put your significance on how well your children behave, it will surprise you what they will get up to. Maybe it won't. Put that guy to death in Christ. Scripture also teaches that we rose with him. That's what we call the new man. 
We all belong, everything belongs to him. We live at his good pleasure. He is so good to us. He hears us. He loves us. He directs us. He feeds us. He cares for us. Since he's taken all of our sins away and filled us with his spirit, we can reckon ourselves dead so we might live to him. Loving the neighbor, speaking truth and love, learning to rejoice together with friends without an agenda. Putting to death envy and strife, anxiety and fears so that we might live in Christ. That's what Jesus is pointing out with this widow. She put her whole life in the hands of God. Out of her poverty, she put in all that she had. And that was of great value in the sight of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a joy it is to come into your presence knowing that you love us. That you are a gracious and merciful Heavenly Father. Teach us that we died in Christ so that we might live in Him. Teach us that whether we have much or little, it all belongs to you and comes from your gracious hand. And so that we might learn to use the unrighteous mammon of this earth to build for ourselves heavenly treasures as you, as you have told us. Teach us to live out of our poverty instead of out of our abundance. In Jesus' name, amen.